Hey, everybody. It is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations. And, you know, we've been doing this series on people who helped uh, bring us back during the course of the uh, post-Katrina days. And I'm going to have a couple people on the show today who were big-time uh, folks helping in that. But um, we're, we're also basically going to be kick-starting, kick-starting for this half hour, this hour, because Kickstarter is a program that helps you raise money for little projects that the big guys aren't interested in funding. And we have a Kickstarter going for the the Ninth Ward Improv Opera, which we are producing at the St. Maurice Church on August 27th in the Lower Ninth Ward and at the Andrew P. Sanchez Community Center um, right across from the MLK School on the 28th. And um, this opera is so, it's not like a really formal opera. It's more like um, spoken word with people like Chuck Perkins, who's so fabulous, and uh, great music by, uh, you know, some of the most incredible out musicians in town and um, dancers that Monique Mosk is corralling and um, uh, really just um, Angelica Joseph, who's one of the most beautiful singers in the city. I mean, and we're just a city full of beautiful singers and just all kinds of citizens from the Ninth Ward talking as part of the production. So it's kind of they call that interactive big word for the fact that people um, who are not performers participate in the program. So it costs money to do these things, and getting grants these days is not the easiest thing in the world. So you do a Kickstarter, and a Kickstarter reaches out to folks in the community all over and says, won't you put in a few dollars? And our Kickstarter ends next week, August 14th. And so we are going to talk about what goes into making that happen. And also, you know, we're going to help you learn a little bit about how to do this because you can do this for any business that you may be interested in doing yourself, either nonprofit or for-profit. And if you go on Kickstarter and you see the things that people are raising money for, it is great, innovative stuff. And, and, And that is also what our Ninth Ward Improv Opera is all about. Oh, we have some cool, cool people in it, including WBOK host Chuck Perkins, who I don't know to what extent he actually put his, puts his, um, you know, his uh, spoken word skills to to play in his show. But he is one of the all-time great spoken word artists in town, and man, he really makes our show now. Before we go to Calvin Alexander, our first guest who has been very important in the Ninth Ward since Katrina and before, um, I just want to tell you how to find Kickstarter. So you have two ways to do it. You can just literally go online and put in Kickstarter. Then you put in Discovery, and then you put in Art. And, And the Ninth Ward Improv Opera is going to pop up. Also, you can just go to the Creative Alliance of New Orleans. That's our organization that I work with. And um, 
go in there and the very first thing that comes up on the home page is the Kickstarter and you click on that and that'll take you to the Kickstarter. So Calvin Alexander is a resident of the Ninth Ward and he is one of the people who testified in what I call our public rehearsal that we did back in January in a freezing cold church. It's probably going to be a little warmer in August, but we're going to we're going to fix that. If I get enough money, I'm going to blow cold air in. And um, and he he's been such a big part of things post Katrina. But I want to step back a minute and ask Calvin, um, Calvin, how long have you been living in the Ninth Ward, and what were you doing before Katrina? <laughs> Good morning, Jean. How are you? Good morning. Um, actually, we purchased our property in the uh, Holy Cross neighborhood uh, section of the Lower Ninth Ward in May of 1978. Mm. Way back. Way, way back. So what, what took you to the Ninth Ward? Why, why did you want to be there? What part of the city were you raised up in? Uh, actually, I grew up in Memphis. Oh, yes, that's the first time Memphis, I heard Tennessee. that. I didn't I know that. I moved here. Uh, you could be accused of being a, you know, outsider <laughs> oh, after look, 40 years. Oh, I a long time. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I suppose I don't speak like most of the the lower Ninth Ward or Ninth Ward neighbors, and I used to get the question a lot, uh, you, you're from away, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. But consequently, um, uh, my wife and I actually purchased our first home uh, in the upper Ninth Ward uh, in 1975. and uh, That's when you first came here? Oh, I moved here in 1972. Okay. That's when I moved here, exactly. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually moved here uh, Labor Day weekend, 1972. So when we used to run, it, run into each other in the in the uh, the uh, flea market, yes. um, we had both just gotten here. Yeah, we had just gotten here. I really, never realized that. that. I thought you'd been here forever. And my, uh, my mom was an avid uh, garage sailor and flea marketer, and that's what I got into my blood, and we became collectors, and of course... You know, we met because we collected some of the same uh, pottery in the life. I know, yeah. <laughs> I still love to tell the story about, you know, a, a lot of our people in the audience don't know about this guy, George Orr, O-H-R, yes. who has a museum for him in Biloxi called the Orr O'Keefe Museum. A lot of people don't know about that museum. It's so fabulous, the architecture by that crazy architect Frank Gehry yes. is incredible and it's right there on the casino strip so you can go gamble and go see art and um, this is it's a beautiful museum but but George Orr will be has already been by people who are in the know but will ultimately be as well known as Tiffany because he's one of the most important potters ever because he did such innovative work. He was at Newcomb. I think he was a little too friendly with some of the girl students, and they kind of said, <clears throat> and he wound up uh, over in Biloxi and um, with a great big pottery studio, and he made thousands of pots. And he kept saying people at the time didn't appreciate his work, just like a lot of artists. And he, pa he told his kids, pack this stuff away. It's going to be worth a lot of money someday. And one day this guy from Jersey comes through looking for old cars, which the family also dealt with. And, and he bought almost all of those pots, took them back up to Jersey, and um, the story goes on from there, and they're worth a lot of money. But so Tannen goes to the, my husband, goes to the flea market one morning, probably you were there, and um, he sees this mug that looks a little weird, and he said, hmm, 
you know, how much for that? And the guy says, how much you got on you? My husband reaches in his pocket and he says, 69 cents. And he said, okay, it's yours. Well, that little mug now is worth probably, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the $2,000 range, you know, maybe somewhere between 1000 and $2,000. And the bigger stuff, of course, is worth a lot more money. But, you, yeah, you can find stuff in the flea market. I, I don't think anything I've bought my almost in my entire life uh, was anything but something old out right. of either a flea market or an auction house or um, an antique shop at, at uh, on the higher end, rarely. Um, and, and you, too. huh? So your house must be filled with all that stuff, too, right? <laughs> well, I actually still some, have some still hidden away in a few places that I had I had kind of tucked away prior to uh, Katrina, and I still haven't even uh, unpacked some of that stuff. Oh, so you but, you put it away you, 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 in a safe place? Is that yes, what you're saying? Exactly. Interesting. So you took the storm seriously, right? Because that's something that, you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, in the Ninth Ward were kind of shrugging their shoulders at it, saying, oh, it's going to go to Florida, which was not something that I thought. I thought it was going to come at us. So I, I, I prepared our house and, and us. We got out of town and... We were prepared to be away because we thought it was going to hit us hard. You too? Well, you know, well, as you know, at the time I was actually working for Bell South slash AT&T. Oh, so you had to stay around. And, well, no, actually, prior to that storm, I typically stayed because when we had any kind of problems from storms, uh, working with telecommunications, we were basically uh, first responders. Uh, yeah, but sure. in this particular case, uh, I happened to leave town that Friday afternoon because my youngest daughter, Samantha, had just matriculated at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa. Uh. And I left that Friday evening to go up and put a basket on her bicycle. Oh, uh, my goodness. Uh, the capstone there in Tuscaloosa is a huge campus, and she had an un, un, inordinate number of books to haul around. So I went up that Friday afternoon to put a, a basket on her bicycle for her to get around with her book load. And it turns out that uh, I went over to the campus Saturday morning and put the bike on. We went to, did some shopping, and uh, we also made sure that she was able to use her credit union bank accounts and so on, uh, which turned out to be an, a, an absolute godsend uh, after the storm hit. Well, we get back to the hotel Saturday night, and there's uh, uh, the mayor making an announcement that, hey, you got to get out of here. Well, yeah, just a few days a too late. I already in Alabama. Yeah. Uh, but my wife's mother, who at that time I think was probably 88, 89 years old, um, was here. So 1 o'clock Sunday morning, we headed back to New Orleans oh to get my, my mother-in-law. <laughs> yes, yeah, see, but you see, that's the right thing to have done. Oh, I, I really have issue with people who left their seniors in town and then, and then afterwards bemoaned what happened to them. It, it, to me, it was like your responsibility, whether it was your own blood or a neighbor, to get those folks out. And a lot of people did not. That is true. That is true. But, yeah, we came back, and we got here about 7 o'clock Sunday morning, uh, picked up the mother-in-law, also talked to one of my daughters. Uh, she and her two kids were over in the Gentilly area. And first she had said, she, well, she wasn't going to go. They thought they were going to be okay. They were in the second-story apartment. And about five minutes later, I don't know if she saw something on the weather report or the news. 
She called me and said, I think we're going to go with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the NOAA people were trying to put out the word like crazy. You know, this is this is the real deal. Get out. And, uh, I, it, well, anyway, you know, yes. we know what happened. Go ahead. Absolutely. So I was going to go back to your George Orr Pottery story. Okay. Because the rest of that story is this. My wife had seen that ore pot before before your husband got no. to it. No. And because I'm actually the collector and recognize stuff, she didn't realize what it was. Oh. So she puts it, she looks at it and examines it and puts it back on the table. Well, your husband walks up, picks it up, and he says, oh, this is nice. This is a George ore pot. And my wife says, oh, I looked at that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you did, and you didn't call me? <laughs> oh, yeah. So that was a, that was an absolute uh, heartbreaker for me that day. She actually had it in her hand. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk about this offline. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll have to uh, have a little chat about that. No problem. That little mug. That mug is still around. Yes. Well, okay, so here you are. You have um, chosen, first you said the Upper Ninth Ward, and then you moved down to Holy Cross. So what were you thinking? I mean, you know, did you did you realize, I mean, I think a lot of people in the city took the levees for granted and really were not paying attention to sea level issues. And when you bought your house, did you check out the sea level at all? Actually, I did, and I knew did that you? because because the the Holy Cross end of the lower nine was right at the river. Uh, that is where, of course, over time, as the river overflowed prior to the time there were levees, it was very high. And in fact, from from the Mississippi River levee uh, there, right next to the river, all the way back to Florida Avenue, going toward the um, the swamp area or the Bayou Bienvenue Triangle is actually between 12 and 14 feet difference in elevation. So it is extremely low back there on the swampy or north end of the neighborhood. And, of course, that was something I was concerned about, and I was extremely glad that the house that we bought, which is in the 600 block, is really close to the river, close to the levee. And at the time we bought in the 70s, I was looking for something close into the city because I was not going to go way out to the suburbs or across the lake, which is what I had seen happening over the last 20 years or so. And I didn't want I didn't want all that long commute every time I got ready to come into the city or go to work or whatever, you know. And I liked the large lots and the, the really yes, yes. idyllic country life yes. that I saw people living like in a, a little in a, country in a village. Across yes. Yes, it's a very special place. And, um, you know, that's why I've I, I spent so much, I've spent, since I've lived in New Orleans, I've spent so much time there. It's kind of like my second home. Even before we were lucky enough to uh, get one of the few art commissions my husband ever got, because his work is kind of out there, right? <laughs> but we did we did at one t- point get a, um, uh, get a, a, a little bit of a commission, and uh, frankly, we blew it on a little shotgun right on the levee. Uh, because ever since I've been here, I just wanted to be on that levee, and um, it's so beautiful. So, and it is, it's peaceful area. You do have some crime. You've got some drug gangs, but that's anywhere in the city of New Orleans, so uh, that didn't phase me. And um, there's just a, 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 a sense of community, and it's another one of those places where people kind of look out for each other down the block and so forth. 
So um, when when you evacuated, and presumably a lot of people from your area evacuated, I remember extremely clearly, Calvin Alexander, when you came back to town. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that you came back just as the Bring New Orleans Back Commission was holding these big hearings and and looking to try to figure out kind of how do we get started on recovery. That was, they were just you know, writing a, a brand new story. Um, and and you came to one of those hearings, and you must have just come back for the first time and seen the devastation, and you were one angry <laughs> young man. Well, you, you know, stood Dave, up, the, wait, now, wait, let uh-huh. me set it up and finish setting it up. And you stood up in front of a huge auditorium filled with people, and you just let loose. Tell Tell us... Remind, tell, tell, remind me and tell other people what you said. Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of the backstory on that quickly. Uh, actually, I was back after about two weeks because, like I said, I was working for the uh, telephone company. I was actually okay. here, and we were living right there on Porters and Barone in the telephone company building. They made uh, laundry, a floor for laundry. We had a floor for the men to sleep in, a floor for the women to sleep in. We had a almost 24-hour cafeteria there. And I was living right there in the CBD at the at okay. building. Uh-huh. Uh, I had been back since uh, September 18th, actually. Wow, yeah, yes. early. And I got. It. I had, of course, worked all over the city at that point in time trying to see what needed to be uh, brought back because we took a devastating hit with telecommunications uh, equipment and plant. Yeah. So I actually had uh, the morning of that Bring New Orleans Back Commission meeting. I had actually worked that day. I, I went there to that meeting on my lunch hour, and I was extremely angry and upset with the way things were were being planned over the heads of the people. And many of these people were not even back in the city. Um, speculators had come in and was all over every neighborhood they could get into, buying everything they could. Because now they- wait, really and truly, I mean, you know, I've always felt that that was a bit of a myth. But you're telling me you really did in in the ninth ward see real people that you would typify or you could knew for a fact were real estate speculators. Absolutely, they were everybody they could see and talk to. They were asking. Uh, you interested in selling that? You know anybody might want to sell their property? Yeah, this was going on even that early. Wow, you know something? I've always discounted all of that as rumors and assumptions, but now you're telling me you really walked down the street and and you ran into people who literally could tell you this guy was just trying to buy my property. Absolutely. Wow. That's and really if interesting. You, if you remember that day, I had a sign that I had tacked up on my house saying, Hey, we're home. Yeah. And you, the next day, I was on newspaper covers all over the country with that sign saying we're home. Huh. Because as I said in the meeting that day, um, I had been approached about selling my property, and I had tacked that sign up on the house saying, hey, we're home, because I didn't want to be bothered. Yeah. And as it turned out, we came home one day to do some cleanup work on the outside because I had trees down the yard and so on. And... My sign was down on the ground, and I knew we'd had a little wind, but I did not believe that sign had blown down. Mm. And I had a work table right there in the front yard where I'd sit my chainsaw and other tools as I was working. And without hesitation, 
I walked over, picked up another signboard, and wrote on that one, we're still home, and I nailed that one up on the front of the house, and that stayed there for about two years. Right. <laughs> did you did you um, uh, have that X the X sign on your uh, house? Oh yeah. And did you leave that up also for a it while? It is there right this minute. It's still there. It is still there. In fact, I had two because you know they had to search in our neighborhood because of the flooding and the fact that they had not repaired the levee uh, in the lower nine. Um, they had to search again because we had more water come in with Hurricane Rita, Rita. about a month later. Right. So exactly. I actually have two X's on my house. Hmm. So, so Calvin, this were you, were you active in the community before Katrina, or was that the point at which you became more active? No, I had I had actually been active already. Uh, with at, what, the Holy Cross Neighborhood Association? With the Holy Cross Neighborhood Association. Okay. I had been an officer and board member uh, with the Holy Cross Neighborhood Association. Really? Okay. And also, uh, we had been uh, sort of uh, instrumental in getting uh, Neighborhood Watch uh, organized in our area. Uh-huh. So, you know, I had met a lot of the neighbors and, and actually had had made lots of friends in the neighborhood and around the uh, community. Okay. All right. Let me go back for just a minute, and, and then we're going to move forward. And um, we've been joined now by Kim Ford, another um, uh, active person in the Lower Nine. Hi, Kim. <laughs> hey, Calvin. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> Pretty good. So, so that day when you came to the Bring New Orleans Back Commission meeting, and as I said, an angry young man. And again, I made an assumption that I, I've got to check my assumptions more carefully, <laughs> that you had just come back because I could imagine um, what it would be like. I can't imagine, actually. I still to this day can't imagine what it, what it would be like to come back to your house. And it's just completely gone as it was for so many people. So. I, you were so angry. I said, I'll bet he just came back and just found out that he lost everything. Not true. No. Okay. So what angered you is that you were going around town repairing utility and you were seeing what happened to people. Now take me forward. What was in your mind when, what was it that you yelled out? <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe Canizaro, uh, Oh, God, I can't quite remember. Well, you know, at that point in time... They and poor Joe, been... I have to tell you, Joe Joe really did work hard, and I know he's a developer and all that, but I think he took um, heat that he shouldn't have had to take because he really did, was trying. He was trying to do the right thing. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, actually, I didn't make any specific statement toward Joe personally or Somebody directly. Somebody else did, so but what, what was it you what said? What I was talking about at the time, when they were talking about making the area... Uh, if you're familiar with the lower nine, uh, the area north of uh, Galvez Street, from Galvez toward Florida Avenue, they were talking about making that green space and not letting anyone rebuild there. And there were many and that's because of the sea had... level in that area. I'm sorry. And that was because of the sea level in that area. Uh, that was a part of the excuse, yes, because of how low it was and how much flooding had occurred in that. How, exactly in that how area. low was it? How, exactly how low? Because this is another area of dispute that a lot of people say the reason that um, uh, folks were discouraged from coming back to the Lower Ninth Ward is that it's you know the lowest part of the city, and other people say no, it's not the lowest part of the city. Maybe some parts of Lakeview or Broadmoor are lower. I don't know, but so so how low was it? 
How low was it? Well, you know, again, if you if you look at what was being talked about, I think by the flooding the flood insurance program and FEMA, because of the depth of the flooding on the north end of the neighborhood, they were at, at first talking about people having to elevate their homes as much as 12 feet to 16 feet in the air to be able to purchase flood insurance going forward. So, uh, again, I, I think from Galvis back to Florida, Galvis is probably from the river level at the at the um, Mississippi River, Galvis is probably seven or eight feet below uh, where the street level is in near the levees. And that drops uh, probably another two to three, four feet back to Florida Avenue. So it is it is fairly low, but uh, like you said, it is not the lowest area of the city by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, parts of Broadmoor are referred to as the bowl, if you recall. Right, yeah. And the, broad, the, the name itself tells you uh, <laughs> what it is. It's a moor, and moors are low. That's but, right. But, um, Calvin, so, again, one last time I'm going to ask you, what was it that you said? Well, I said basically that it, it made no sense to me for anyone in the city at that early stage to talk about anyone not being able to rebuild their homes. That was that was that was really the the gist of what I was saying to the mayor and his people that day. Well, and you said it very vociferously. I did. I did. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I was angry at that point with with all of the uh, politicians because. Uh, a couple that I had tried to make contact with were not even staying here. They were out in Baton Rouge or somewhere beyond uh, the city itself uh, because they didn't feel it was safe. And I was uh, approached by a representative of our then city council person, and I wouldn't talk to them. And our, our state senator, you know, you notice I'm not calling names. If nobody remembers, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would not. I would not speak with. Uh, the, the state senator who was representing us at that time, we actually had a meeting at uh, St. Claude and Catherine where there was, it used to be a Popeye's. And I found out that our former state senator was going to be there, and I left because I did not want to take a picture with that person, and I did not want to com- have a conversation with him. I yeah. was that angry. Right. And so... Um Let's let's fast forward just a little bit mm-hmm. because the we, as we all know it took government the public sector quite a long time to figure out how in the hell to deal with what was going on uh, and we always hear the expression that they were definitely deer deer in the headlights they they just they didn't know and and their the sense that oh, there are some parts of the city that shouldn't come back. That was like a rallying call. Correct. And that's when I think people, tell me I'm wrong, said, oh, really? <laughs> we're not coming home? Um, blank you. We're coming back. Yeah. And, Kim, you're sitting with me. I want to introduce you to the conversation because, I, I mean, we could do this for you know the rest of the afternoon, but <laughs> I only have another half an hour, so let's let's um, move forward, because I do still want to talk about the opera. But um, what about you? When well, you came back. I'll tell you, my, my, my relationship was strictly through the news media, because I couldn't even get through. And we had other uh, m- m- more people. We had other issues going on within within my family personally because I have 
so many elders, so many seniors in my family. So it was it was just it was just years before I was even able to find out that I was going to be able to come back because everything told me that every every connection that I made with the city was saying that I couldn't come back, I couldn't come back. And, um, you know, I just, I wish that I, and, and the whole time I was away, I, I would see things like, uh, you know, I saw the public housing destroyed when I didn't have a home. The public housing in the community was being destroyed. And I, and I thought to myself, I would gladly go and stay in a public housing project to try to rebuild my home if I have to do it a nail at a time. It's my home. It's my land. You know, I want to rebuild it. I want to come home. And to see that, that it just being so far away and so just disconnected from my home and to see that go across the news, it, it sent a clear message that we don't care what your, what your housing conditions are, you know, and it was still so many people, uh, 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 dislocated from the city at that time when even that happened and, I just could remember just feeling like, please wait, don't don't tear it down yet. Let me tell you my story. You know, I need a place to stay in the city of New Orleans so that I can help my neighbors and that I can help that I can get some help. What 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 about you your know? house? Yeah, my house was a total. I had to totally rebuild my house. I had to sue my insurance company and my mortgage company was calling me on a regular basis to please just walk away from it and not worry about it anymore. And, wow. and and my insurance company, their idea was a settlement. They sent me a check of $75. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not kidding. Now, how, how, and how it, and it's funny that? now. How it's funny now, but that? it was not funny then. Oh, it had to be devastating. <laughs> it it had was to be devastating. devastating. It was devastating. And it, it's that kind of thing. You know, it was so many things in place. But and I'm going to help to bring this all around for you because where I am right now and the issues that we continue to face in this community, because this morning I saw a council person get on TV to talk about bike safety. When here in the city of New Orleans, it's harder for a black man to find a job here than in any, it's almost anywhere in this country. Well, you, you know, know, and right here in the city of New Orleans, we send more juveniles to life, sentence more juveniles to life in prison than any other way, in, any other place in the world, and those issues go unskirted, untouched on a daily basis. You know, you know I've so been watching. Uh, I, I I've said on this show still a couple have times here in the city. You know, I, I've said on this show a couple times, and I, I talk about it too much, according to my husband. But it's a, it's a, an important part of my life right now. I've had a bunch of surgeries this spring, yeah. and I've been down. So I've been unfortunately towards the end of the day, I, my head is blotto, and I, I wind up watching a lot of television. I've been watching the news more so than usual, and I am just appalled at the quality of the news on our broadcast television stations now. I call it the crime news. All it is is killings and accidents and 
this mama shot that papa and this kid just shot that kid and it's just nothing but crime news when there are some really important issues that we need to be dealing with about how to do what needs to be done to have this city continue going. I, it's yeah. so irresponsible and I know that it's part of this whole new click society that we're in. Oh, you know, whatever you see more clicks for, that's what we're going to give you on the news so people click on a crime thing because yes, they do want to know if there was a crime in their neighborhood and so on. Yeah. But that should not drive the content of the news. I'm yeah. sorry. You know, there's some people going to be mad at me for saying this, but um, appalling. And I'll, I'll flip yeah. from one to the other because I can't believe it. I said, surely somebody's covering an, a story of substance that has to do with our yes, lives. No. And no, I wound up, you know, going back and watching national news. And national news, of course, is totally dominated by not petty neighborhood crime, but some foolishness dribbling out of the mouth of what I call a Brooklyn bully. I'm from New York. I know who Trump is. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I come from the Bronx, and I know exactly who he is. And that mm-hmm. is not somebody who it, it makes any sense at all for us to be talking about on a daily basis as a presidential candidate. It's insanity. So I wound up watching that crap until I can't stand that anymore and then back to the local news and all they're talking about is crime. So yeah, Yeah. the news is not covering our story. That's one of the reasons why we decided to do this. So we call it an opera. It's not an opera in in the classical sense of you know, it's really spoken word, Chuck Mm -hmm. Perkins, it's dancers, it's musicians, and it's citizens. I got to turn to the opera before the show is is over. So please, Kim, we could talk a lot, and I I will ask you uh, before the show is over to talk a little bit more about your current issues in the Ninth Ward. But you were in the opera, and I have to say, you were one of the stars. (laughs) Calvin, too. Um, And along with, um, you know, the performers, um, just incredibly uh, representing your, your, your message. And, and tell me what it was like for you to watch that opera and to actually, in a sense, be in it. Because th- this is a community-driven, this is all local. This is not coming from outside. This is our people talking and, yeah. and performing in this opera. And, and that's what it was for me. And actually, you know, the people that's, that were there and the people that spoke at that opera my neighbors, I work side by side with Calvin on so many days, just so many days, so much time that he and I have advocated and worked together around issues in our community. Right? We sit side by side sometimes, and I never knew his story. <laughs> John Carful and I, side by side, and we just never ever talked about your personal stuff our personal story you were so involved with the community because we hit the ground running every time we're together we just hit the ground take off and we and we move to whatever we're doing not only that vanessa garinger and i so much time we spend together addressing issues you know advocated Never knew. I never knew their stories until that night. So let's just say I was completely floored, and I was so. I, I, and I'm always honored to know the folks that I work with in my neighborhood because they just the the lower ninth ward has been blessed with the a community of dedicated citizens 
like nothing I've ever seen. And I mean people in order. And I'm just, I'm a little biased because that's where I live too, you know. But, uh, you know, just to know them as a part of my regular life, I'm honored to be in their company. I'm honored to be in Calvin's company. I'm honored to be in John's company. And I'm honored to be in Vanessa's. Because, And not only just them, we so smart and such a willingness and a desire. That whole thing that we did behind the Holy Cross effort, Still till today, it has rocked people across the globe, and our city council voted against us. So still, what, you know? what 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 um, what what Kim is referring to, and and quite frankly was in fact one of the underlying reasons why I wanted to do this opera. Yeah. Because I felt like, what did we do wrong in our six month effort of coming up with alternative plans, working with Tulane University gave us so much help. Yeah. Um, working with a, a Councilman Gray, we did exactly what he asked us to do. We yeah. went out and we did a, a plan. And then the development process just kind of, as soon as I heard what our thoughts were, which were not the same as theirs, they, they kind of you know rang the bell and started their process, which kind of superseded the, the outcome community. of our work, right? Mm-hmm. And so work. I felt like, okay, what do we have to do to really help people understand what this community is about? It's not so much about just that project because, right. well, we'll see how that turns out. That's, you know, what do they say? Um, it ain't over until the, skinny, until the skinny girl talks, <laughs> right? <laughs> but what we're, we're going to, you know, you have to keep out all these these issues of, what the community is interested in seeing versus what the people who can afford to buy a lot of property have to say. So that's, that's, right. that's an ongoing. Uh, and, and the best way for that to work out is a positive process. And so I kind of want to keep it positive. Yeah. So we will. But, um, yeah, it, 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 it's important for people to understand. I think the key thing that I wanted folks to understand is that, you know, they. I think some folks tried to portray the community in that case as, just a bunch of elitist white newbies. And they still doing that. Oh, sure they are. So, yeah. Kim, what's the truth of that? You know, that like, is such, such BS, okay? And matter of fact, I was in a meeting um, just the other day, happened to see the chef who talks about how he how he worked for President Obama. But I'm like... Obama is still president. How come you're not there? <laughs> you know, but he's here. Here he is, telling uh, people that 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 Holy Cross thing is just some um, uh, white uh, elitists who want to decide. The people in the lower ninth ward don't want that, and that is absolutely not true. And it has nothing to do with black or white. It has to do with the fact that. You're trying to place 120 units at the end of a cul-de-sac of the most precious and available space in our community. What, seven stories above our houses? And a self-containing unit at that. It brings nothing to our neighborhood. And and. The people who came together, correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I have not been working with the community groups in Ninth Ward forever, so I don't know the answer to this question. My impression is that white 
and black, uh, folks of means, folks with little means, young folks, older folks, all came together as never before in the Ninth Ward. Is that true or not? Well, I can't really say that because the lower Ninth Ward throughout history has been very active politically. And at one time, and I know because my husband is a third-generation homeowner in the lower Ninth Ward, his grandparents initially uh, relocated to New Orleans from New Rose and built a home on the north side of the lower Ninth Ward. So... But even throughout his life, he was always very active politically. Oh, yeah. So some things that had been done in the Lower Ninth Ward, the Lower Ninth Ward had its own stronghold. It was a very powerful community, has always been, you know. But but was there this unity between kind of the Holy Cross, white folks, well, and that's, folks um, from the other side of St. Claude? I, I, I really can't say because I... My my Lord Ninth Ward was black. It was very predominantly black, you know. And I I don't I don't really know because before Katrina I wasn't even involved in that. I, and before Katrina, but you see, I that's really what trusted I'm my politicians to be able to do it. I never had to do any type of. But what I'm saying activity. is that's exactly here you are working with some of those folks. That I had never done. Katrina. I've never done that before. Okay. I've that's never my, done that that's before. That's my point, that there was there was people working from different pockets of it was, community down there. It was very there. multicultural. Thank you. It was multicultural on all levels. Okay. Now, fast forward. So here we are again. I want to keep this positive because I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm into solutions, not into, yeah. Yeah. you know, condemning and, and, and railing. Mm-hmm. So... Um, here we have we have this story, it, and we don't. Our, our story is basically the levees break. We search. We discover the the dead. We mourn the dead. We pick up the pieces. We rebuild. We deal with our obstacles, and a lot of them were paperwork, bureaucracy, in, in on all levels, and not maliciously intended. I don't. I really don't Some believe. Some of them were. <laughs> Well, you know, the, say that, yeah. New, New Orleans is a very conspiratorial place, and I, and I have a conspiratorial cell or two in my body, but I, I really think a lot of it was just fumbling through how to do it. And so, and, and unfortunately, I think to, in some cases we hired contractors who were fumbling through how to do it, and the result was a lot of, like, uh, one step forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back, and that had an impact on everybody's lives and ability to come back. But... Through it all, as as um, Chuck so beautifully represents, there's this incredible resiliency and determination and sort of celebratory attitude towards life despite the difficulties. And I always say that the best thing that ever happened to the communities of New Orleans was people telling us we couldn't come back because that just, oh, really? And people just, you know, doubled down on their efforts to make sure that we could come back. And this is actually kind of a pattern that repeats in, in post-disaster in a lot of places. So the, I, the, the importance of New Orleans as a model for how other cities deal with disasters is out there. As That's going to be a big part of the story, I think, uh, at the end of the month and going forward, that um, we maybe did it wrong, right, or however we did it, but um, we, we, we did it. And uh, we learned certain lessons, and we hope to be able to share those lessons. But the Ninth Ward 
improv opera um, is in a is is celebrating the the commitment, the depth of the commitment, and the and the efforts, despite the frustrations and the obstacles of people in the Ninth Ward, to bring the city back. And folks, we we took on a Kickstarter. Kickstarters are kind of scary, because here's how it works: you have about a month to raise whatever the amount is that you say you're going to raise. And if you don't reach that target, you get nothing. So during the first week when it was like almost no activity, I was like crazed. And then in comes a donation that I did not personally ask for, although we did send him an email from Spike Lee. (laughs) Spike Lee donated $1,000. And that was our first Big donation, and they tell you, the Kickstarter crowd tells you one of the first things you want to do in a Kickstarter is have some big donations. Well, I didn't really have them lined up. I just didn't because I, it's a long story about who's giving what to whom around here lately. Yeah. But I, I just didn't have it lined up, and, and that came through, and I said, man, it's not the money. It is the recognition. He must have looked at the video, and he was engaged yeah. in the Ninth Ward. He spent yeah. time down there. He, he, he's, he did work there. His last film was, was very much in, engaged in the Ninth Ward. I said he actually cared yeah. enough I've and respected him. what we were doing, and yeah. he endorsed it. And I said, yeah. you know what? I said, right then and there, we're going to make it. Yeah, he respects the culture. Spike Lee does. He, he does. But I, but I said, him. with that commitment, I, then I could go to people and say, match Spike. <laughs> and you know what? Um, Ray Manning, the architect. Yeah. Um, uh, Marcel Wisnia, also, ironically, an architect and on my board. They each matched Spike Lee. And um, a couple a couple others still coming in because you know what, guys? We actually have met our target, but because we're doing the two performances – because Kim Ford asked me to. How long ago? How long ago? One of the first things that we did. We'll talk about that. I'll wait until you let me Offline. get in. Offline. <laughs> no, we'll, because Offline. We, people need to know how the improv opera became a part of the Lower Ninth World oh, okay. Resilience Festival. All right. So we're gonna, let's, let's do that. But my point is, is simply at this moment that we um, – took on a second performance. So with a second performance, we actually have to raise more money. So even though we've met the initial target, we still have to raise a little bit more money to cover all the costs of the two performances. One at the church, St. Maurice, on August 27th, my birthday, um, uh, uh, on the Holy Cross side, and then we're going to the Sanchez Center um, on the 28th, same time, 7 o'clock. And so we're doing two performances, so that costs more money, so we're raising more money. Um, I haven't let Calvin say words. So let me just ask Cal- Calvin. I asked um, Kim the question of what it was like to, to, to talk during that opera and, and what it meant for her. And I, I just want to get that in from you before Kim and I get into the festival that she's putting on, which I want to talk about also. Okay, great. Um, you know, it was exciting for me to have a chance to talk to as many of our neighbors and visitors who were there as as showed up that particular evening. Because I'll tell you, other than the meeting you talked about where Excuse I, me, let me just tell people in the audience. So that was a performance in January that we did, like a rehearsal. Yeah, as a because trial. We were, just, we were just determined to give it a, a, a fly and see how it would happen, <laughs> what, what it would yes. be like, right? And we, right. Did, we just did it. 
exactly. Yeah. And um, other than the, uh, a couple of public meetings like that, bring New Orleans uh, Home Commission uh, meeting, for the first year, 15 months, I refused to talk about my experience during and the immediate aftermath of the storm at all. I just did not want to talk about it. I was too busy trying to do things. I understand. And so consequently, as Kim said, that was the first time she'd heard my story. And that was the first time most people in the audience had heard my story because we weren't extremely close together and had a chance to just sit down over coffee and talk about it. I talked about the full experience that I had over over that time post uh, Katrina, um, very little unless we were we were you know close friends or family, but that really gave me an opportunity to let people know that well first of all as you mentioned Dean, from the very beginning when I saw the way things were going, I called it an absolute failure of government from Paris city, state, federal, every level of government failed us every yeah. level. So there was no one individual or one group to point to. Yeah. When people put all their trust in government and don't do anything to be self-sufficient, that is the kind of thing that can happen. And without us standing up on our own feet and pulling ourselves up by our own shoestrings or bootstraps or whatever, that is how it will be even going forward. We have to have things in place to take care of ourselves, our neighbors, and our families. Say who Calvin is again. Well, I, yeah. So you ask him. Ask him. I'm sorry. And 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 Calvin, introduce yourself again, <laughs> in case people just joined in. Okay. Uh, well, for anybody who just joined, uh, Calvin Alexander. That's my name. Um, I live in the Lower Ninth Ward, the Holy Cross part of the Lower Ninth Ward. Uh, I was able to come back and actually go to my house early. I think I made it to my house probably around September 20th or 21st because. I was working for Bell South AT&T, and we were surveying the entire city to see just how badly our plant had been damaged and what needed to be put back together. So when I got to the bridge at St. Claude Avenue uh, to come across and go both to our neighborhood and on down to Chalmette, uh, I showed the police officers at the bridge my driver's license. And I said, this is where I live. I live just across the bridge there. And I would like to, I'm on the way to Chalmette to survey damage to our plant, but I want, I want to go to my house, and I don't want anybody interfering with me. So I'll let him go to his house, and I did. Okay. Calvin, let me, let me uh, stop you because uh, we, we have about um, seven minutes left sure. to the show, and Chuck Perkins has just walked in, and he's going to join in in a minute. And what I want to get to right now is that the opera on the 27th and the 28th is actually a part of a festival in the Ninth Ward that Kim has been a part of putting together. And I want Kim to have a chance to, and we're going to talk about the festival more between now and the 27th. Right now, I'm focused on the Kickstarter ends on the 14th. You can still donate, and we need your donations, even though we met our our target. I set that target low to make sure that we could we could make it, because I, I was really panicky about making it but we still need more so there's some great rewards that we've just added you get rewards if you if you donate you know you get something you get there's wonderful rewards i think it's the richest kind of rewards that have ever been offered in a kickstarter that i've seen so please take a look go online and see it i just want to get that in 
if you're, while you're paying attention. And, but, but Kim, set us the stage for your festival. Uh, we decided about two years ago, we started looking at the fact that we didn't have any sort of formal commu- commemoration in the Lower Ninth Ward, except for a political piece that would happen sometime <laughs> on an anniversary. So uh, Ward McClendon, who's now deceased from the Lower Ninth Ward, and I started talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. You know, that's then, another thing, by the way, that happened. We've lost a lot of the soldiers. Some great leaders, because this work is very difficult. Is very stressful. And it's taxing. It's taxing. And now I know that more so than ever, that I need to be very careful, because this work is taxing, and it takes a lot. It takes a lot. But the love that we have for our community makes us be driven. And so we have come to this point where we're going to have an actual opportunity to commemorate to with our community with a strong commitment on what we want to see as our acknowledgement of this event that changed all of our lives. Some of us lost more than we will ever be able to regain. So many people died. So many people lost their their livelihoods. Both my husband and I, both our jobs we lost, you know, our way of making a living. And it has been difficult ever since, but all of that helped to motivate, uh, uh, all of that helped to motivate us to, to move forward. And it's not just me, it's others in the community. To and the, so the festival is going to? Have this festival. We're going to, on Friday, uh, August the 28th, we're going to have a, a kickoff party that starts from at 5 o'clock, at 5.30, I'm sorry, and we're going to have the Lower Ninth Ward Hunters are going to be there. We're going to have uh, Gina Swanson as our hostess for the night, and we're going to have a great time leading up to the uh, the the improv, the Ninth Ward Improv Opera, and we're also going to have a, a, a viewing of Trouble the Water and a panel discussion after that, to which guests will be able to choose which one of their, those events that they want to go to. Because in the Lower Ninth Ward, we're going to celebrate our arts, our culture, and our history. And on Saturday, the festival consumes with the music piece that starts at 1, one o'clock. So please join us. I'm so excited about your festival, and um, I really think people are going to come out for it because I've looked on the schedule. You know, if you go on uh, online, people are wondering what's going on and how do they find out. There's a website, Katrina 10, that has uh, probably not everything but a lot of what's going on. And um, quite honestly, I think your festival and our opera, I think they're by far the best, <laughs> the best things on there. Because and I'm, we, I'm totally objective. For, this is by, for, and with citizens of the lower ninth world exactly. it's nobody just telling our story right. it's us it's us as a community as a city having the opportunity to commemorate and acknowledge those things that's important to us and and chuck perkins who has the show right after me and who's who's been my partner throughout this whole time ever since i met him when he did some um uh, spoken word for the neighborhood uh 
then called Participation Network uh, um, at the Musicians Union. We used to have Wednesday night meetings, and one day Nathan Schroyer brought you and some other spoken word artists, and, and we have been partners ever since because I said, whoa, <laughs> this guy has something to say. He's so talented. But, Chuck, you really have helped us make this opera how work and how great it is because you brought some incredible talent. Can you talk to me just a little bit about that talent that's in our show? Oh, yeah. We, um, of, of course, the great Dave Torkanowski. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, anytime you can start a, a show, at least a, the, the musical part of the program, if you got uh, Mr. Torkanowski, then you got a hell of a, like, a starting point, right? In addition to him, we got uh, Jeff Clapp. He's, um, um, Jeff is a, is a tremendous drummer. Um, we got, uh, Kari Lee on the saxophone, Angelica Joseph. Uh, she, a lot of people may have seen her. I think it was a, it was a voice. She, she got sent to, to California on the voice. Uh, she didn't make it all the way through, but anyway, she's still, uh, I'm still a big fan of hers. She's and, and, she is and, phenomenal. And, and we had, a um, all-star bass player, Barry Stevenson. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to have Barry back, but that's okay. We got a lot of um, fantastic bass players around, but Barry, you know. And who's that drummer? That's Jeff Clapp. Oh, that's, that's Jeff Clapp. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, Kyrie Lee. And is, then. Is, is, is on sax. Uh, Barry Stevens on bass. Um, Torkanowski. And that's. There's th- one other guy uh, who, who has his own jazz band of. Uh, I'm I'm sorry I don't have my whole list in front of me, but anyway, great players. And then Monique Moss, who's an incredible choreographer. Oh, the choreography was and just she had right phenomenal. The whole thing from the in the moment the first note played, I knew what it was. <laughs> I knew what it was, and I'm not really a opera kind of listener. You know, I, this is not my. You know, I may be, I may have been to two in my life. Okay, <laughs> that's two more than I didn't been to. I so, but I tell you, sorry, I've not music, even gotten, been to that many. Either. It's not a classic opera by any means. It's, it's not. It's, it's I don't not. know what's. It's a mixed media production. Now, our ultimate objective is that by the year 2016. For the um, 18, rather, for the um, tricentennial. tricentennial, we will build this into an opera with actually singing librettos. That's a, that's a much bigger production and way beyond our present budget, um, even with our Kickstarter <laughs> funds. And um, I hope that uh, we'll be able to expand this and, and have it to be even a bigger production. But in the meantime, we're going we're gonna to pull this off. Chuck said, I mean, really, if I didn't have Chuck helping us put this together, and the citizens, I thought and Chuck, you and... Chuck, a phenomenal speaker. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jaw-dropping. It was everything. The piece that you did. I can't wait. And Chuck is also going to uh, come and do a piece at the festival on Saturday. Right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And I tell you I, that I wish that you could do a little bit of that right now. You can't. Huh? I'll put you on the spot. Yeah, I don't even know if I. I don't even know if I can remember it. <laughs> Wait, you know what? Can you just do? Here's here's the line I need you to do. Do the uh, she's a bourbon drinking dame. She's a but. She's a bourbon. This is drink. about she's New a, Orleans. She's a bourbon drinking broad made hard by her battles and wars, diseases and other floods. But at night, her street lights are the. 
But I said the bourbon drinking broad part. But I, uh, I promise you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that a couple when, times. And, and when the light went out of her eyes with after the storm, but when um, that's impressive, Jean. But, but, but when, but when, um, you uh, really have been listening. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I got it on the computer. I just got to look at it one time. Well, actually, everybody, if you go to Kickstarter, yeah. Discovery Art. And you listen, you will hear in the video, which is, please listen to that video. It is so incredible. And you will want to donate some money to help us have the Ninth Ward Improv Opera on August 27th at the St. Maurice Church and August 28th at, at the Pete Sanchez, Pete Sanchez Lower Nine um, Resilience Festival. Festival in the, in the community center. We expect to see you. Y'all come. This is Gene Nathan. It's Cross Town Conversations, and I'm getting my hand waved. So, <laughs> goodbye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>